Artists lost and found. Artists creating through centuries against all odds. Artists Lost and Found is a podcast created for and by artists. Bringing you legends, tales of wisdom from our artist ancestors, the ancients. And you'll hear stories and interviews with the modern working artists of today. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Barbara Gregson, a working theater artist, author, and director, and one of the producers of this podcast, Our Artists Lost and Found, along with uh, Gregson Theater and Friends and musician, composer, and sound engineer, Eric Porter. Artists Lost and Found is created and recorded at our studio in beautiful Shenango County, New York. And here we go. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes of Till Eulenspiegel, Till's Early Years, Episode 3, or His Apprenticeship, and first performance performances and his first big test, then please do. Till Eulenspiegel is a fascinating jester and folk hero from Germany in the 1300s. And he began his career during the Great Famine and died during the plague of 1347, performing throughout the lowlands, which were Germany, Denmark, Netherlands, and Belgium. We wanted to tell his story during the plague of 2020 and believe he is as relevant today as he was in the 1300s. So here we go. Episode 7, Part 5, Till's Final Years. After Till left Marburg Castle with the jesters, Klaus and Hans, they performed throughout the lowlands for several years. Klaus fell to his death one fine spring day. He planned to jump from a lower balcony and land safely in the hay wagon below. When the horse pulling the wagon was attacked by a swarm of bees and took off with the driver desperately trying to hold him, Klaus flew through the air, performing his signature double somersaults only to land on the hard earth of the village square, dying instantly. Hans and Till were in the crowd, collecting coins, and watched in horror as their friend fell to his death. Hans never recovered from the loss of his dear friend and ended his jester career giving Till his precious recorder before he wandered off into retirement 
eventually settling in the countryside somewhere. Till had no choice but to set out on his own. He continued for several years performing in the warm weather outside in marketplaces and town squares throughout the lowlands, and in the winter working in a castle entertaining the court of a nobleman or duke in exchange for a warm bed and good food. Then when spring came after he had a successful run at the castle and the noblemen and ladies had a sense of humor, he would ride off on a donkey or he was given a draft horse and cart and even some gold coins, sometimes. But due to his wisdom and wit, in truthfulness, he might have to escape at night by foot with the castle guards close behind him. Such was the life of a wandering jester in the 1300s. Legend has it that after one such hard winter and escape from the castle of Heidelberg, pursued by the nobleman's guards, he found himself in a village square, exhausted, hungry, with his few costumes, masks, his tightrope, and a few coins left. He decided he needed a steady source of income and a chance to give his body a break from the acrobatics, tightrope dancing, magic tricks, and so on. He would become Till the fortune teller and stay right here where he was for a while. So with his last few coins, he bought a small tent from the tent maker nearby and a large oval frame from the frame maker and proceeded to set up. He pitched his tent in a busy spot in the marketplace. Inside, he hung the frame from the ceiling and set up his mass collection. Then put on his long black cloak with silver stars and his jester hat with the donkey ears and bells then put his little stuffed owl on top of the tent. Once he was ready to begin his show, he placed a sign out front that read, Till will tell your fortune for only three guilders. He stood in front of his tent, playing his recorder and calling all to come to have their fortune told, and only for three guilders. Since Till was known throughout the lands for his great acrobatic wit and comedic skills, soon a crowd gathered and a line formed. The local tax collector, who was at the back of the line, pushed his way ahead of everyone else, bustling with self-importance, telling everyone that he should go first. Now he was known for his greed and predatory actions towards the poor people in the town. And he paid his money grudgingly and was sure that he would hear of more glamorous riches to come. Till brought him into the tent and placed the tax collector in front of the empty frame hanging from the ceiling. Then Till stood on the other side of the frame, turned his back, put on a vulture mask, which was a half mask then put his head in the frame and said, Look into the mirror and you will see your true nature. You are like a vulture who picks away at the dead 
The poor stealing what little they have to line your own pockets. Your future is bleak and lonely as you will live and die alone in your big house if you do not change your ways. People who had been lined up outside quietly snuck in and heard Till's fortune. Some laughed, some cheered, so the tax collector, knowing this was true, ran off in a huff, amidst cheers from the crowd and jeers. Next a soldier, a mercenary, until said, once he put on his half-death mask, Now look into this mirror and you will see yourself in a year, dead. And you have spent your life killing people, all for money. And soon you will die yourself, so find another profession before it's too late. Then a doddering old nobleman and his young bride. You two are the same, Till said to them. Look in the mirror. You only love each other because of her youth and looks, Till said to the old man. And to boast that you have such a beauty as your wife. But you are a fool. She only married you for your money and the status of being married to a rich man. And you, the young bride, will, will waste your youth on this old man only for the riches you wish for. You are both the same. They left in a huff. Everyone nodded, who'd been listening and laughed, each time agreeing that surely these were wise predictions indeed. Till worked all day and then many weeks after, predicting the future of many of the townspeople who dared to have their fortunes told. But not all who came were given dark warnings and predictions of their deaths and unhappy futures, but some were given predictions of hope and a happy future, such as a young couple that came into the tent one day, arm in arm, an apprentice to a local artist, a young painter, and his fiance, a beautiful young woman, a farm girl. They wanted to know if they should marry, though they had very little worldly goods. They looked in the mirror and Till saw the love they shared for one another, and he said, Marry soon, for your love is strong. Don't wait for earthly goods alone to marry. I can see that your future together will be a happy one. They left the tent beaming, and the crowd nodded and agreed. Till's prediction was true and wise, and so after Till told hundreds of fortunes that winter to practically everyone in town, and in return he gained a new last name, which he would carry with him for the rest of his life. His name became Till Eulenspiegel. Eulenspiegel means owl, mirror. Those became his symbols, the owl for wisdom, and the mirror for you to see into your soul and to see your true self. And so the legacy of his name continued even after his death, which occurred sometime during the bubonic plague, or black plague as it was called, from 1347 to 1351, which incidentally killed half of the population of Europe, including Till. Till was living in Moon, Germany at the end of his life, 
he'd acquired a little house with a few belongings in it, never having much need for material things. But some of the townspeople that didn't know him very well believed that he had hidden a chest of gold coins in the house. So when Till knew his time had to come to leave this world, and that his time was near, he planned a final performance, and as in life, would have the last laugh, even in his death. When Till became ill, he went to the apothecary and bought some herbs to ease his discomfort. Now the man behind the counter, the pharmacist, said how he loved Till and thought he was a great jester and performer and would be happy to care for him in his house during his final days. Now remember, Till could see into the man's soul and saw the fake smiles and fawning behavior and agreed knowing that the man wanted to find Till's gold that was supposedly hidden in his house. A few days later, on his deathbed, Till knew time was running out and that he must play his final performance before it was too late. And asked the pharmacist to fetch the priest so he could make his final confession. The town clerk to bring him parchment paper so he could make out his will. The pharmacist did this with alacrity and excitement, thinking he would inherit his chest of gold. He returned with the parchment paper and Till wrote his will. When the other two men arrived, Till read it to them, and this is what he had written. In as strong a voice as he could muster, Till said, I will leave one-third of my possessions to my friend, the pharmacist, one-third to the town, and one-third to the priest. For this I wish to be buried in holy ground, and masses are to be read for my soul. My possessions are my gold coins buried in the ground in an iron chest, and each of you shall have a key, which he gave them. It is to be dug up four weeks after my burial. Then he signed it with the symbols of his name, the owl in the mirror. He put down his pen, lay back on the pillow, and died with a sigh of pure bliss and a smile on his face. So as I said before, even in his death, Till had the last laugh. You can imagine his funeral. People came from far and wide as he had become such a well-known entertainer, jester, clown, and a great friend of the people, and all wanted to see him one more time. Masses were read for three days, and on the last day when they put him in the ground, one of the ropes broke, so he landed standing up, not lying down as his customary. All that were there agreed that this was so like Till, and that they should leave him that way. The people shouted from the crowds that had gathered 
at the gravesite. He was so different and, and exceptional in life. It is only fitting that he remains so in death, standing up. And so they covered Till with earth, standing up, placed a stone on top with a mirror carved on it and the owl. Now, after the funeral, there were many days of merrymaking and partying and feasting, celebrating his life, until the four weeks had passed, and the priest, the pharmacist, and the town clerk gathered round the spot in the farmer's field where the chest of gold was buried. The farmer, an old friend of Till's, had led them to the spot, and with a shovel he dug it up. Now word had spread that this was the day, and a crowd was gathered to see what riches were inside. You can imagine their surprise when they opened it, and all that was in it, stuffed in every compartment, were stones and earth, and a little bit of cow manure thrown in as well. And then on top, a piece of parchment paper, which the town clerk read. One third goes to my friend, the pharmacist, who took care of me just because he thought he would receive gold in my house. I give you earth and stones, which have all the richest chemicals, minerals, fool's gold that you may need. One-third goes to the priest. I give you stones to repair the church, which is badly in need of it, and earth to plant food to feed the poor. One-third goes to the town to give stones to the judges and bailiffs that are often as hard as stone, and a bit of earth to remember that the people need earth to live decently. The three men stood there in shock, embarrassment, and couldn't say a word as the crowd was listening to each word, and then erupted in cheers and shouts. They all agreed that was definitely Till's Eulenspiegel's greatest performance. And the three men finally slunk off, shamefaced, as the crowd dispersed with smiles and laughter. Once again, even after death, Till tried to help people see their follies and act more wisely and justly. And this is the end of Till Eulenspiegel, at least for my telling, and for now.
Well, that's it for now, folks. Please go to our website for more information about our podcast, Art is Lost and Found, and to leave us any comments or to find out about future episodes and past episodes. Our website is artistslostandfound.com, and of course, you can go to our Facebook page, which is Artist Lost and Found Podcast. The four episodes of Till Eulenspiegel Returns, episode three to seven, are dedicated to all of the traveling theater performers, street performers, musicians, and artists that are still trying to work during this worldwide pandemic. I first learned about Till Eulenspiegel when I was performing in Germany with my street theater troupe, Theater Wunderwurm, Theater Wonderworm in uh, 1975 to 1979. Theater Wunderwurm consisted of myself performing mainly mime and physical theater, the actor and clown Peter Bear, and the musician Andre Rebstock. One of our gigs was to perform for the town of Moon, Germany. We played in the village square in front of the statue of Till Eulenspiegel. At that time, Peter Bear and I decided if we ever had any children, we would name them Till, after our inspiration Till Eulenspiegel, which Peter did in 1978 and I did in 1980. Artist Lost and Found was produced and recorded in our Shenango County, New York studio. Music was composed and played and recorded by Eric Porter. PR and marketing by Shauna Stevenson. And I am your host, Barbara Gregson, saying goodbye for now and keep creating.